you are worthy of all glory and honor. And Jesus, we praise you that you were willing to humble yourself and go obedient to a cross and die in our place. And Lord, we thank you that today carries meaning because you did not remain in the grave, but you rose from it. And Lord, I pray today that because you are alive and you are well, I pray, oh God, that you would stir our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit, that God, we would come to a better understanding of the resurrection and we would see the necessity of it within our lives. And Lord, I pray today that you would do what only you can do and yet again demonstrate your resurrection power. I pray that you take those that are dead and make them alive and take those that are yours and encourage and compel them on to look to the future of hope. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. He is risen. risen This morning, we're going to look at a message entitled Celebrating the Resurrection. Celebrating the Resurrection. As we start today, I wanted to look at the centrality of the resurrection. And this is exciting to me because when we think of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we celebrate it not as a spiritual resurrection, but as a historical, bodily, physical resurrection. And I pray we'd see that. And I pray that we would see how central this message was to the early church. In fact, it was so significant that the apostle Peter, the man that by the New Testament accounts denied Christ before his crucifixion, that when he preached in the book of Acts, he preached a message not just of platitudes and not just of spiritual motivation, but he centered his message and he centered his sermons on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You could look at his sermons in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 10. But moving through the book of Acts is so significant because we're dealing with after Jesus rose from the dead, 40 days later, he ascended into heaven. And what we see is the beginning of the church and the story that is told from that upper room on. And we see after Acts chapter 10 that another key figure enters the scenes in the book of Acts, and his name is the Apostle Paul. But he wasn't the Apostle Paul when he first emerges. He was known by his Jewish name at the time, Saul. And when Saul emerges, we see in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, but Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. And you know what's so exciting is that once this takes place in the life of Paul, We see that Acts chapter 13, he preaches on the resurrection. Acts chapter 17, chapter 23, chapter 24, chapter 26. So when we get to this moment in history, rather than moving away from the embarrassment of something that went wrong and Jesus being in the tomb, 
The apostles understood Peter and Paul represented the resurrection of Jesus was the central core foundation along with the death and burial of Christ. No resurrection, you have no Christianity. You have none whatsoever. And Paul says early in one of his letters to the church, which becomes literally a statement of the beliefs of early Christians, he says, for I delivered to you as a first importance that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. It's as if at this point in history, if you want to verify and you want to talk to somebody about the resurrection, there's eyewitnesses. If you want to go to the place, go to Exhibit A in Jerusalem. It's a message that originated in Jerusalem. It didn't originate across the Mediterranean. It was right there in Jerusalem because it stood as the tenet of the faith that Christ came out of the grave. But look at this next verse. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And what's so exciting this Easter morning as we celebrate, as we look at the centrality of the resurrection, there's only one explanation for the transition and transformation in the life of James. James was a man who was a brother of Jesus, half-brother we call him because Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit. But James was ashamed of his brother. And even in the gospel accounts, it says that he was embarrassed. He thought his brother had lost his mind. But then we see him mysteriously emerge as a leader of the church in Jerusalem. And scholars have been baffled. And they say, what is the explanation for the change that takes place in James? And this right here is the only explanation in the Bible. That James had an, appear had a, had an encounter with the, res the risen, resurrected Lord. And then he goes on and he says, that's the beginning of the passage. <laughs> so we look here and we see the centrality of the resurrection of Christ to the point where Paul would argue that if Christ has not been raised, we of all people are fools. You may be thinking, well, no, this beats, uh, this beats being on the lake this morning. Even if Christ hasn't raised, we're here and we're thinking about ethical significance of living. And you may be thinking, I'd rather be ethical than be a drug dealer or ethical and be involved in immorality. Well, well the apostle Paul would disagree with you. He would say that if Christ has not been raised, what are we doing? This is nothing but a, a time for fools. But look what he does in 1 Corinthians 15, 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Now look at the next part. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all of all people most to be pitied. It's central to the faith. 
This morning we celebrate the resurrection. And I think as we look at this, we see, if, I, if you ask anyone in the room today and say, hey, why are you celebrating today? I think we all would look at each other and say, we are celebrating that Christ has risen from the dead. But this morning, I want to get into the nuts and the bolts of what that means. I want to look at what does it mean to celebrate the resurrection? And why do we celebrate it? What is involved and what's at stake here? Today, we're going to look at four reasons that we celebrate the resurrection. Four reasons we celebrate the resurrection. The first reason, the resurrection is linked to our regeneration. The resurrection is linked to our regeneration. Charlie read it earlier, but look at these words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice this next phrase. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Are you familiar with the story in John chapter 3? Because what Jesus says in John chapter 3 is remarkably similar to what we just read in 1 Peter chapter 1. You see, we see this idea of regeneration. We see this idea of born again. But there was a man that came to Jesus, and many of you are familiar with this story, but it's so appropriate on Easter Sunday. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And then he says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. You may be with us this morning and you're thinking, what in the world does that have to do with the resurrection? How is that significant when we think about Easter? But I want you to understand the Bible places an inseparable link between the idea of rebirth and resurrection. You see, in order for Jesus to awaken that which was dead, he has to have the power to raise the dead. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and one of the significant theological results is in order that we might be raised from the dead. We might come. Some of you may have grown up in a tradition where Christianity is a matter of religious ceremony. It's a matter of taking the sacraments. It's a matter of uh, being baptized as a baby, so to speak. It's a matter of somehow taking communion in the sacrament and receiving being a part of the church, but that type of idea is, is foreign from the language of the Bible. The Bible speaks of not walking an aisle and signing a card. It speaks not of the preacher bringing you up on the stage that validates somehow that you've entered into Christianity. Jesus says the only entrance, the only way in is to be born again. 
And this morning, the resurrection is necessary. I love this because Charles Hodge says, regeneration, therefore, is a spiritual resurrection, the beginning of new life. It takes the resurrection of Christ in order to pull that off. Without the resurrection of Jesus, we have no hope. Another man says the new birth is something that happens in us when the Holy Spirit takes our dead hearts and unites us to Christ by faith. This morning, as we celebrate Easter, it's a reminder to all of us that apart from Jesus Christ, we're not good people seeking to find the right way. We are deadened sinners needing to be awakened from our deadened state. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the power of the gospel to take those who are dead and make them alive. Amen? This is good news. Good news for those that have no hope. Good news that God can do what only he can do. He must be raised in order for us to experience this life. And it is truly life in 1 John. And this is the testimony that God gave his eternal life. And this life is in his son. And look what he says next. Whoever has the son has life. What life is that? It's resurrection life. It's the power that God uses to truly regenerate us, to take us on a path where we go from dead to being able to say, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It's regenerating power. But if there is no resurrection, there is no new birth. But today we celebrate only God can raise the dead. The God who raised Jesus from the dead, God the Father raising Christ, we see is an example to us of how our lives can be changed. The second reason we celebrate this morning is the resurrection is linked to our justification. It's linked to our justification. You uh, may be thinking, what in the world is that? Well, justification is a forensic term. It's a courtroom term. And right now, uh, through a mock trial practice, and the, the kids that are doing it have to learn all about all the courtroom. So uh, today I'm not going to bring up Jason Pierce to do it a, a, a lesson. But if he did, we would become more aware with the language of the courtroom. But I want you to see this because this is huge. You say, why is this important on Easter? It's incredibly important. Because Easter reminds us of a courtroom scene. It reminds us of the fact that we all face the judgment of God apart from his grace. But the beauty of Easter is it reminds us that because Christ has been raised from the dead, we can be settled and sure of our justification. You say, how's that? Paul says in Romans 4, but for ours also, it will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. He's raised for our justification. I remember the first time that the courtroom became really uh, something I was really uh, aware of was when I was in Jacksonville, Florida in 1991 on Halloween at the Georgia-Florida game. And when that officer looked at me and said, you are under arrest for scalping tickets in the state of Florida, I immediately became aware of the court system. I went to prison your pastor's a former jail person. And, and I went into Duval County, and I'll never forget it. I was sitting in there in a room watching cops in the jail cell, 
literally, and uh, went through that day. And the next morning, uh, a guy came to me and says, you got to have an attorney. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, no, there's court-appointed attorneys. And he says, what are you going to plead? And at the time, I was guilty, but I pled no contest. No contest. And I went before the judge, and I was scared out of my mind. I was scared because I was missing practice. I was going to be in trouble for that. My mom and dad were already mad at me. And I'm standing before a judge, and I don't know what he's going to say. And the judge looked at me. And he was a very nice man, and he looked at me, and he said something, and then he goes, son, he goes, in the state of Florida, your record is wiped clean of the charge of scalping tickets. He goes, that means if you're in this state and you break the speed limit, when they pull you over, there will be nothing on that report that says you have broken any laws. It's one thing to stand in a courtroom in Duval County, Florida, and have a judge to tell you that your record is wiped clean. It's another thing to stand before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords in the courtroom of his eternal perfect justice and to be declared righteous. To have your record and your slate be washed to receive the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ, that's good news, but I want, want us to see something this morning, that that doesn't happen apart from the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus Christ demonstrated who Christ was in Acts chapter 17, 31, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Christ was vindicated. Christ was shown to have a perfect substitutionary sacrifice. Have you ever written a check that you were a little bit worried whether it would clear? No one's gonna raise their hand and admit that, but I have. I have, and I've received some checks from some people that I wondered if it would clear. But you know what? Thanks be to God and our Lord Jesus Christ that when Christ died on that cross, that three days later when he came out of that tomb, it was divine proof and assurance that God the Father accepted the sacrifice of the Son. The check cleared, the greatest check of all time, because at that point, God's physical bodily resurrection illustrated the miracle of what God had provided for us in Jesus Christ. It required a resurrection in order for us to be justified. I love this because there's a quote that I came across by Wayne Grudem, and he said, if God raised us up with him, now listen to this, then by virtue of our union with Christ, God's declaration of approval of Christ is also his declaration of his approval of us. That's good news. That's a reason to celebrate. And apart from the resurrection, my friends, that could never be stated. That could never be understood. But Jesus Christ raised from the dead. And because he's raised from the dead, there's hope. The third reason we celebrate this morning, the resurrection is linked to our lives as Christians. The resurrection is linked to our lives as Christians. I was thinking about this, and do you remember the promise of what is to come? We're looking at Hebrews right now on Sunday mornings. And 
the promises are so amazing because in the Old Testament, you see the, see the shadow. In the New Testament, you see the substance. In the Old Testament, you see the promise. In the New Testament, you see the fulfillment. But in Ezekiel, we see one of these shadows and promises. And it says in Ezekiel 36, And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You say, how in the world is that possible? Because God, in his infinite wisdom, saw the day when Christ's sacrifice would be complete and that those in Christ Jesus would now live by the power of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I was growing up, and uh, now these days, my sister's one of my greatest friends in the world. I love her to death. She's amazing. But I didn't think that way when I was 15. I didn't really care for her. And... Uh, <laughs> I didn't really care for her, and, and I wasn't even allowed to look at her on some trips. How pathetic is that? I was that immature. I was told not to look at her. And can you relate? Some of y'all are laughing because y'all are guilty too. <laughs> and, and, you know, I was on those trips, and, and the one, one of the things about Stephanie growing up is that she was like me. She showed her hardheadedness in different ways, but I got to know my dad really well on the mornings we were going to school. We would wait and wait and wait. It was in the 80s. And you remember the hairstyles in the 80s of the ladies back then? And it just seemed like the more you, you messed with your hair, the frizzier it got. And she'd come out of the house, and her hair would be a doozy. I mean, Stephanie had like spent so much time on it that it was just frizzed out. And, and she would come out mad. And I remember one morning we were in the car, and, and I was looking at my dad like, Dad, we're late again. He's like, I know, son, I'm sorry. And he goes, she came out, and when she came out, she just looked mad. She had a scowl on her face, and Dad looked at me and said, Stephen, it's going to be good this morning. <laughs> and sure enough, she, he couldn't have barely said that, and she took a step, and she slipped on the ice, and she ripped her hose, and she had a bloody knee, and I was like, oh, boy, I was nervous at that point. I was like, she got up, and she was mad, and she started walking to the car. And when she got in the back seat of the car, she made a very vocal, bold proclamation. She said, Daddy! She said, the Christian life is impossible. <laughs> I'll never forget it. My dad was like, Stephanie, I appreciate your encouragement. <laughs> but you know what? I want you to think about something. Even though that uh, she would come up here today and say, look, you don't understand how I was walking in the flesh that day. I want you to think, apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, she's exactly right. I wonder that today, men, how do you see yourself Loving your wife as Christ loved the church. I want you to think about it, ladies. How do you see yourself being the mom and the wife that God calls you to be? Teenagers, how are you going to live in a world that literally has gone crazy, that literally says everything that is wrong is right and everything right is wrong? How are you going to navigate in college? How are you going to navigate in this world, in this culture, in this setting, apart from the resurrection power of Jesus Christ? And Easter reminds us, friends, that apart from his life, we have no ability to be saved, we have no ability to be justified, and we have no ability to follow the commands of God. But thanks be to God, the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. You remember when Paul's praying to that precious church in Ephesus, and he says he's praying this, he says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, 
And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. You see, today, if you're sitting here thinking, how in the world can I live morally pure? How in the world can I contain my frustration? How in the world can I do these things? You see, apart from being strengthened in the inner man, and, and for ladies, it'd be in the inner woman, <laughs> apart from being strengthened in your inner being, there's no hope to live the Christian life. It may be that you're here this Easter and you come celebrating with the right idea, but the very fact that you misunderstand even how the Christian life works is a revelation that you just haven't gotten the power of the resurrection, that you haven't connected the dots, that it's just not a story. It's just not the angel declaring. It's just not that morning. It's just not the food on Sunday. It's not all these things. It radically impacts and moves along all the theology of the Christian faith. If Christ has not been raised, we are powerless. We have no hope. There's so many passages I was looking at, and I looked at, there's Colossians 3, 1 through 4, since you've been raised with Christ. There's Romans 6, 5 through 11. But you remember the one, we've looked at it before on Easter, I've, I've been here 14 years now, and I think I've preached this one about seven times. I love it. Philippians 3. In Philippians 3, indeed, I count everything as loss because it's a surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And look what he says. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And, and, and even here, you see echoes of the resurrecting power of Christ. His, he was justified and vindicated in what he did. And now our account can be credited righteous because of that. And then he goes on and he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I read a quote that I want to read to you that really blessed me about Philippians 3. And a gentleman said, the difference between knowing Christ and knowing the power of his resurrection is the difference between knowing a person and resembling a person. It is not about relationship, but about supernatural character growth. When Paul says, I want to know him, it means I want to be with him but when he says, I want to know the power of his resurrection, it means I want to be just like him. Look at the deadness in your life. Look at the anger. How is that going to be turned into forgiveness? Look at the insecurity. How is that going to be turned into confidence? Look at the self-centeredness. How is that going to be turned into compassion and generosity? How? The answer is that the dead stuff gets taken over by the spirit of God. The minute you decide to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit comes into your life. It's the power of the resurrection, the same thing that raised Jesus from the dead. Amen? Praise be to God. I remember, I think sometimes uh, people don't realize how much preachers learn all the time. There's so many things that I don't know super well, and, and, and people come to me all the time, and I used to try to answer them. 
Now I'm like, I'll get back with you on that. But, but I remember just a few years ago uh, preaching Easter sermons, and, and, and it finally hit, hit me when I started beginning to see, wait a minute, yes, this is glorious, but, but this impacts everything. It, there is no Christianity without the resurrection. None. It's done. It's, it's zero. It's deadless religion. It's no different than when Elijah was on Mount Carmel and he was coming against those prophets of Baal. They were playing games with their activity, but they had no power because their gods had no power. But thanks be to God, the last reason this morning we look at, the final reason, the resurrection is linked to our future hope. It's linked to our future hope. When we think about death, we need substance, not platitudes. How many times do you hear, I mean, the normal narrative, if someone dies, what do you say? People say, oh, they're looking down upon us. Whether they love God, whether they're atheists, whether they're a part of a religion that cannot save. Outside of Christ, that's exactly what it is. And that's the way a lot of people deal with this. They, they don't really want to think about death. They don't want to think about the shortness of life. So they just evade away, move away from it. Don't talk about it. Don't think about it. When you're young, you're strong, you're healthy, and it's easy to not even consider it. But even as you get in the middle age and older, it's easy to just not want to go there in your mind. But the Christian faith and the hope that we have is built on the resurrection. Apart from it, it's nothing but platitudes. It's nothing but a crutch. It's nothing but making ourselves feel better when someone dies. But the Bible tells us a completely different story. And my favorite verse that deals with this is 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, this is fun. I remember the the first time I came across this, I was like so perplexed as what does he mean by the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep? And the more I began to see it, the explanation that helped me the most was this one. It says, before Israelites harvested their crops, they were to bring a representative sample called the first fruits to the priest as an offering to the Lord. The full harvest could not be made until the first fruits were offered. Now, this is what Paul's doing here. He goes on. Christ's own resurrection was the first fruits of the resurrection harvest of the believing dead. In his death and resurrection, Christ made an offering of himself to the Father. I love this. The significance of the first fruits, however, not only was that they preceded the harvest, but that they were a first installment of the harvest. And here's really the payoff right here. The fact that Christ was the first fruits, therefore, indicates that something else, namely the harvest of the rest of the crop, is to follow. In other words, Christ's resurrection could not have been in isolation from ours. His resurrection requires our resurrection because his resurrection was part of the larger resurrection of God's redeemed. Amen? Wow, I've told you the story before, but really this came very personal to me. August 29th, 2016, and I never forget it. I, I had made it through those first few days of uh, 
of dealing with the shock of losing my dad. And uh, we, we got to the church. We decided to go to the, the graveside before the funeral because we wanted to get that part done. And then we wanted to move to the service. And I'll never forget, I, I drove up, and the moment I saw that hearse, it shook me. And I, I, got, I, I just got really sheepish, and, and it just hit me weird. And, and I had to literally, I, I just had to pray and gather myself, and I got out. And I'll never forget, we drove out of uh, Hickory Valley Road, and we went towards Hickson and we went over there to Hickson Memorial Gardens, and we pulled in, and we got out. And the pallbearers and my relatives carried my dad's casket, and I was one of them. We got over to the scene, and I read some scripture. And at that moment, his casket's right in front of me, off the ground, and everybody began to leave, and I began to turn. And then something in me, I was like, now I want to be the last one here. And everybody walked off, and I sat there deliberately, and I looked at that casket, and it was as if it was that moment between me and God, where I looked at that casket, and in my heart, I was saying, God, I know you guarantee he will not stay in this ground. You say, how do you know that? Because his resurrection is the first fruits, and his resurrection guarantees those who are in Christ. You may be here this Easter season, you may be watching online, and this is the hardest Easter you've ever experienced because of a loss of a loved one. And it doesn't feel the same. And you just sort of dread getting through the day. I pray your, your eyes would be lifted. I pray your heart would be comforted. And I pray you would understand that the basis of Christian hope is because Christ did come out of that grave. It's the basis of our future hope. I uh, was listening to the uncertainty of life. You realize there was a man that he, he was a big skier. And, you know, the guys that are really, really good, have a lot of money. They go up in Alaska and they get on helicopters because they go so high up. You can't get up there. It's not like a place where just anybody can go. It's called heli skiing. And they go up in helicopters and they drive them out of helicopters. And they ski down a run and they pick them up. You have to have a lot of money and you got to be really good. And one of the richest men in the world died a week ago. $17 billion was his net worth in his 50s. He had no idea that day that he was going to meet his end. I pray this Easter that you're not naive. You don't know if you're about to stroke out. You don't know when you're going to have a stroke or a heart attack or go through a car wreck. I say that not to scare you or to manipulate you. I say that to challenge you in order to face the uncertainty of your life. You need firm hope. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ, praise be to God, offers hope because he is the resurrection and the life. And you remember the story of Lazarus in John 11? Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. I love this because he then says, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And don't you love this? He looks at Martha and he says, do you believe this? Today, that question rings out to us. Do you believe this? See, there's resurrection hope for those in Christ. This morning, we see it's linked to our regeneration. It's linked to our justification. It's linked to our lives as Christians. 
It's linked to our future hope. I, I love uh, listening to, you ever, those that are older, you ever like listening to old Christian songs, you know, way back in the day when uh, it's funny how times change. I remember back when my parents were nervous about me listening to Stephen Curtis Chapman. Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, and, uh, and I remember I was a young kid. And I didn't know who he was. And uh, he sounded dangerous, I guess, at first. And, but I remember before my time, you know, like when I would have been really little, is a guy named Keith Green. And Keith Green was, uh, was a really respected guy, his love for the Lord. He was, uh, he was known as a radical, and he really seemed like he loved Jesus, and he really wanted to take his life serious with Christ. And he wrote a song that has that 70s flair. I really like it. And it goes like this. It says, hear the bells ringing. They're singing that you can be born again. Hear the bells ringing, they're singing, Christ is risen from the dead. The angel up on the tombstone said, he has risen just as he said, quickly now, go tell his disciples that Jesus Christ is no longer dead. I almost wanna start singing, that would be a train wreck. Joy to the world, he has risen, hallelujah. He has risen, hallelujah. He's risen, hallelujah. He's risen, hallelujah, hallelujah. I pray you've trusted in Christ today. It would be a shame to be at a message about the resurrection and walk away dead in your spiritual state. Today, I pray that you don't leave without trusting in the one who raised from the dead, the one who's capable of bringing you from death to life. You may be with us today, and, and, and the reason you were tempted to come today is because you feel guilty about your lack of living for God. And even in the mindset of how you approach this doorway this morning reveals your need of understanding what it was he actually came to do. He came not for those who were good to help themselves and find their way to God. He came for the sick. He came for the unrighteous. He came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. I pray today you'd believe on Christ and trust in him and understand personally for the first time I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. We're going to go into a time of communion this morning. And uh, what a celebration. I want you to chew on these things. I want you to chew on, Lord, how do you call me to respond this morning? And I pray it could be everything from confession, repentance, worship, whatever, thanksgiving, but whatever it is, you know, we, we're told in the scriptures that when we approach the Lord's table, we need to do so in a serious manner. Today, we're to examine ourselves. We're not to take it flippantly. Today, if you're here and you're living in private sin and there's not repentance in your heart, don't take this. This is nothing to be flippant about. If you're here and you're not a Christian, don't feel don't feel uh, nervous about having to take it or people will look at you funny. This is not for you to take if you're not identified with Jesus Christ. If you've not trusted in him, and scripturally we see that we're saved by grace through faith alone, period. But those that are saved, you know the identifying mark of those who are Christians? They, they, they publicly identify in the waters of baptism and to, to the point to where in the New Testament it was impossible 
to find someone who was an unbaptized follower of Christ. It didn't even make any sense. So this morning, if that fits you of trusting in Christ and publicly identifying with him, this morning, take of the supper. And here's how we're going to do it. we got two tables. Moms and dads, you can decide and, uh, the, the, whether or not your children will partake. And, but you can go to the tables. We are so thankful that y'all are here today. And uh, we've got, we think we've got enough, but the good news is we got more. <laughs> and, uh, and so, like, you got a table here and a table there. And as you see the lines open, just take some time. Mike's going to come and play. I'm going to pray. And then once you get the bread and the cup, after he's played a little bit, I'm going to come back up and lead us through the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And I thank you for just the delight of being here. I pray we wouldn't take it for granted that we're capable of being here today. Lord, thank you for the gift of uh, just to be able to get in here today, just to be able to get out of bed, to be here. We praise you, Lord. Oh, God, so many times uh, we, 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 we know the right answer on paper and in Sunday school, but, God, we, we miss the point. I pray, oh, Lord, that, that our hearts would truly get it, that, God, our eyes would be enlightened, the hearts of our, the eyes of our heart would be enlightened, God, to see the truth of this. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We praise you. You are worthy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.